For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5, still going. Look at the goal line. Bullseye! It's a Buffalo touchdown! everybody welcome back another edition of bullseye the ub bulls football podcast and if you guys have been listening you guys might notice this voice here from the intro that we've been having and you know very special guest we had to bring on paul peck uh you know it's great to have you on paul how's everything going today everything's going great i i see you threw the apostrophe in on bullseye is that so there's no trademark infringement on my uh on my calls there (laughs) Hey, I, that was that was a, a call above my head, so I, I can't really speak to that one there. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I, uh, any, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. I always love to talk UB football and uh, appreciate that more people like yourself are interested in it and want to talk more about it. Um, always happy, always excited to, to, to see more people get fired up and excited for what's been going on here, which has been really an incredible run of three years. Most definitely. Yeah. And, you know, for for someone like myself to be, you know, a kid watching the James Starks of the world, the Naaman Roosevelt's of the world, to playing in the program briefly to now being on this side covering the program. I just think it's it's so cool to see how far it's come. And, you know, I know for you um, uh, uh, individually, personally, for you to be someone who's really seen the entire FBS era of the Bulls, you know, it has to be an amazing um, journey to this point as well for you. Every once in a while, I, I, like, I like to let myself sort of take a step back and mm-hmm. reflect a little bit. I mean, I did my first UB football game in 1992, mm-hmm. you know, when it was still sort of a uh, kind of moving from Division three mm-hmm. to uh, to Division one AA at the time. And to see mm-hmm. where the program has come from there, um, you know, into the Division one days, which which we all knew was essentially you were going to be a punching bag for 10 years because that's it was just, you know, the, the, the program had barely gotten the one double eight team to the point of being really pretty good 1996 when they won eight games and Mm -hmm. then and then all of a sudden here comes you know comes the mid-american conference and and obviously nobody was ready and i think the people that were involved back then will tell you they weren't ready um but now to see the development and like you said the the namens and the starks in the late 2000s the 08 team that that really you know, set the table for all of this. And then, you know, and then the Khalil Mack era and then, you know, and then what Lance Leipold and his guys have been able to do um, for the last five years and, and Mm -hmm. to be able to turn the program over to 
Mo Linguist now, um, you know, being the winningest team in, in the Mid-American Conference, back-to-back bowl wins, it's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible even for me to, you know, to know that I started doing games literally uh, in Ithaca and in the bleachers at Edinburgh to, you know, knowing we're going to Memorial Stadium in Nebraska this year and I've done games at, o- at Ohio State and Tennessee. It's, it's pretty cool. It really is. That's awesome. Yeah, I love to hear that. And that, that's one thing I really wanted to be able to ask you about, you know, having seen you know, the highs, the lows, the, you know, really just the, it's, it's been, it's been a, a, a maturation process for this program over the years, you know, just, just thinking about some of those early days, what, what are some of the things you can remember? Well, you know, like I said, it just, it, everybody wasn't ready for it. There's just mm-hmm. not a lot of history of division one athletics in the Western New York area, specifically in the football end of things. Mm-hmm. And, and I give everybody at Buffalo credit for wanting to be the one to do it, but right. you could tell, you know, and I had gone to school at Syracuse and, and, you know, and I kind of knew what division one football was supposed to be all about. And you just, you knew they weren't there yet. Facilities mm-hmm. wise, salary wise, administration wise, and mm-hmm. then it was going to take time to get there. And that's why the guys like Craig Service, who, who laid a lot of the groundwork and the Jim Hoffers and, and then Turner Gill, like those guys knew what mm-hmm. it took. And some people had to be dragged kicking and screaming to get to the point where the facilities were right and the mm-hmm. budgets were right mm-hmm. and the opportunities were right. Um, mm-hmm. And now, now that's all there. Now everything is there. You know, I mean, the budget is among the, the biggest for athletics in the mid-American conference. The coaches mm-hmm. are a top five head coach paid head coach on the football side, you know, mm-hmm. and the facilities are, are among the best in the conference. And, you know, and I know sometimes people go, Oh, that stuff doesn't really, well, it does. It really mm-hmm. matters. And when a recruit walks into your building and he doesn't see the kind of stuff that he's seen at other schools, um, that's a reason for him not to go there. And if you're not up to par, I mean, that's why the field house was such the Murchie field house was such a big transcendent moment because not not as much for what it does, but as much for what it didn't do when it didn't exist. Right. You were one of only two schools in the MAC that didn't have one. That hurts recruiting. That hurts the ability to get uh, a running back that either is running for 100 yards for you or you're trying to stop him from running for 100 yards against you. Right. Um, now, the, those reasons are out. There are no excuses for somebody who's being recruited by UB to go, oh, they don't, they're not doing it right, or they're not doing it enough, or this, they don't mm-hmm. have this, or they don't have that. None of that exists. So now it becomes good coaching, good recruiting, and great players, and we've seen what the results have been. No doubt. Yeah, I, I mean, I can attest to that myself. I remember the year that I played at UB, we used to have to get bussed over to the Bills indoor facility. And, you know, that that was a process in itself, you know, getting everybody loaded up, making sure we had equipment and everything like that. To think now, hey, guys, you know, go grab your gear. You know, we're heading down to the field house. We're headed down to the Merchie field house. And, you know, we're just going to get get things rolling for the day. So it, and it's beyond that car beyond that carry um, the ability for somebody on a day like today. If Kyle mm-hmm. Van Trees wants to grab his receivers right now, right. as we record this at 630 on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, they can probably walk over there and run routes if it were raining out and and throw. And that those are the little unseen things that 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 you get from a facility like that that you would you didn't have the ability to do that before you you might have had to hope you could sneak into alumni arena and now you're running routes on a on a gym floor um, right all that stuff matters and and again i think there's no question that you can draw the direct line between the upgrades in the facilities and the success mm-hmm. on the field and i completely believe that that is not in any way a coincidence 
Absolutely. It's a direct correlation. So it, it, it all it all makes sense. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into what UB has become um, as we go go on throughout the podcast. But, you know, one thing that I wanted to touch on quickly, because it is a pretty fresh topic right now, is the, the changes with the name, image and likeness um, rules. You know, it, it's really a uncharted ter- territory for all of college football, NCAA sports in general. And, you know, I think I think it, it's so unique because, you know, I know we briefly talked about this off air, you know, just the fact that, you know, there are kids now who, hey, maybe in years past, it may have seemed like they were getting the schools may have been making money off of certain aspects of their name, image and likeness. But it might have been an indirect thing. But at the same time, too, now it's like, hey, you can recoup that money. So just thoughts on, you know, some of the changes that have been amended and you know just where it really could take college sports uh in the, into the future maybe the most transcendent change in college sports uh in, in my lifetime you know I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in my 50s now and I've been watching sports for about you know 40 plus of those years um <laughs> it, it's the biggest change I think that's ever been out there um, mm-hmm. because it's the most significant change in the way the NCAA does business and to be honest with you Carrie I think it was uh, the original design of it was for Let's say Kyle Van Trees uh, is a musician and he right. wants to record a, a, a country western album, right? Right. Um, he couldn't do that before, right? It, to, mm-hmm. That what I, is what I think the, the heart of the change is all about. But obviously, mm-hmm. where it's going to go is for the reasons that you talked about. Now, Kyle Van Trees, if he wants to go pitch, uh, you know, uh, some company that that uh, does air conditioning in town, uh, right. you know, he, he can do that and he can capitalize on his name and he can cap and he can make money off of his fame. And, and that's important. And I think, you know, where, where it'll go at the Buffalo level, I don't know yet. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, we're being dazzled by some of the numbers you're seeing in the sec and some of the real big giant college football cities where, you know, yeah. where, where uh, half the roster may have endorsement deals because they're right. so important in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's not like that in Buffalo for, for a lot of reasons, but that doesn't mean there isn't a market for those guys to be able to capitalize on that. And I'm anxious to see, and I'm curious to see, and, and, you know, if nothing else, um, you know, uh, if the offensive line wants to get a deal with a pizza place in town right. and uh, endorse that place to be able to go and take the guys out for dinner once a week, well, you can do that now and you couldn't right. do that before. And and that's really significant. And the, the, the one, <coughs> excuse me, the one little, uh, you and I talked about this briefly, but I want to <laughs> give everybody the story. When you talked about this on your last edition of the podcast, you mentioned the number 46 jerseys for sale in the bookstore, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. when I heard that, I'm like, hmm, I, I, I think there's a story behind this. And I talked to some people at UB this week and got it confirmed that for people that don't know, the 46 jerseys were for sale well before Khalil Mack ever came to UB. Why? Gotcha. Because the university was founded in 1846. Mm-hmm. So those 46 jerseys exist. And it's only a, an incredibly bizarre coincidence that it's the year that the university was founded and thus one of the digits of numbers that they tend to market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, oh, by the way, was the uniform number of the greatest player in school history. So, right. um, you know, I, it, I, it's just, I mean, it's an, you could go buy a 46 jersey because you're a Khalil Mack fan, but that's not why they were there. Right. So necessarily, Khalil didn't necessarily miss out on profiting from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now say... If you want to, if the university wants to sell a number five jersey, well, right. Kevin Marks will have the opportunity to be able to benefit from that, and th- and that's absolutely the the right way to do it. 
Most definitely. And and even just going off the point you mentioned with Mac, you know, I think even even on a more grander scale with someone like him, you know, someone who was about to be a, a top five draft pick. I just think the opportunities that he would have had specifically at a school like Buffalo, you know, just knowing that he was a big fish in a small pond, I think he would have been able to, you know, cash in so much more so than even, you know, some athletes in some of the power five conferences. Yes, because they, they might have some more of the, you know, the, the notoriety and some more and more eyes on them and things like that with some of the TV deals that they have with their specific conferences and things like that. But at the same time too, you know, someone like himself, I do think would have been able to benefit from that. But, you know, like you said as well, I think, I think one of the coolest things in my opinion, and you, you touched a little bit on it is just the fact that, you know, Hey, some of these guys, they might not be playing football on Sundays, Mondays, whatever the case is, once, you know, with the NFL and things like that. So they need to be looking beyond their playing careers and it can give them a little bit of a jump on that, you know, whether it's, you know, they're looking into a field that they might be interested in or if it's just something that kind of turns their heads. To, um, they, they, they see it as an opportunity to cash in now and maybe it is something that they can turn into a long term career um, moving forward. The only thing that worries me, and maybe not at the mid-American conference level, but at the higher mm-hmm. levels, is it's going to get abused. And 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 no right now, there's no rules. Nobody knows what the rules are. Everybody's making their own rules. Um, mm-hmm. I, I worry that there's a, going to be a lot of abuse. That you know that the, that a, a five-star quarterback being recruited by Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama right. uh, is going to have a pretty good idea. Either he's either he's going to be flat out told you come here and we'll give you a million dollar sponsorship deal, yeah. or even though that'll be technically illegal. But but there'll be people they'll know, and that's where I think the thing is going to be abused a little bit. And mm-hmm. you know, and again, just on the on the more procedural I- issues of it is you know the guy's got to understand you got to pay taxes on that money, got to right. declare that it's you know I mean it's just not a, a gift you know, and that's so far different than what the NCAA model has been up until now that there'll be some educating education process that's going on. I saw you be put out just this week, sort of its rules and regulations for the NIL stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can't endorse a, you know, um, a hat company that competes with new era because that's a new, that's a Buffalo sponsorship. So, so at least there's a, there's a two page PDF of the rules uh, for what you, of how it's got to work and, and knowing how good the compliance department is at UB, they'll, They'll be able to work with everybody and make sure that that it works for everyone. For sure. Yeah. You know, you talk about that. Um, you know, it's crazy. I, I know this week, even uh, Nick Saban in Alabama was saying how Bryce Young, their, you know, presumptive starting quarterback for the 2021 season is Who's never started a game, by the way, never started a game, by the way. <laughs> but is is commanding upwards of seven figures in terms of endorsement money which is insane in itself but like you said too i think i think another um interesting aspect of this uh, is the fact that the NCAA is really for the first time in almost its history is really delving things out more so to the institutions and letting them have much more control and say so because it is like you said it's a very you know uneven uncertain time with it so if you get um, a chance to go, if you get a chance to go listen to Coach, uh, John Steinbrecher, the commissioner of the Max comments at Mac mm-hmm. Media Day yesterday, where he was incredibly um, astute and pointed at saying the NCAA has failed, failed mm-hmm. in being able to adapt to the marketplace, failed in being able to understand the changes, and the only reason that all this came about was because they lost lawsuits. 
that right. they tried to fight. So uh, yeah. we've been due for change for a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the NCAA is ultimately going to be the best group to see all these changes come, yep. but they're the one we have now. And and again, you're going to see the conferences and the and the teams being more reactive, the schools being more reactive to setting the rules to try and make sure there isn't any kind of abuse, but to try to benefit. Uh, the kids in the best way. You know, and again, we're talking about football here because that's what this is about, but it's the UB swimmers and the UB soccer players that now mm -hmm. can, can, you know, whether they're necessarily endorsing a company or someone, they have the ability to go and do something. If they're an influencer on social media, they can make money off of that right. um, because of their, of their skills. And they couldn't do that before. And that's what I, that's what I'm happy to see. And that's what I think the, the ultimate benefit of all of this is going to be. For sure. Even with the NCAA's hand being forced, you know, I think it's all for the for the, the betterment of of the kids uh, more so than anything. All right. Just, you know, moving ahead now, you know, just thinking about or just talking a little bit about yourself, Paul, just, you know, with your career. I mean, you've, you've been able to have so many different experiences with sports, not just with football, you know, outside of football as well. Just just talk a little bit about your career path and, you know, how you've been able to transition over to, you know, being, you know, the the the, the voice of UB football. Well, I, you know, I, I came up into this business um Kari in, you know, as a kid, you know, in the seventies and then in the eighties when I went mm -hmm. to college and, you know, that was sort of the era when, you know, the, the Dick Enbergs, the Bob Costas's of the world, the Dick mm -hmm. Stockton's, they did everything. You'd see mm -hmm. them on a world series and then on a football game, and then they'd be calling the NCAA. So that's always, I always tried to be well-rounded. It, it was for never me. It was never just one skill. It was trying to be able to do a lot of things related to sports casting. So mm -hmm. did a lot of play-by-play -play in, in college, um, did a lot of television in college, had the opportunity to come to Buffalo in the late 80s to work at Channel 4 and work mm -hmm. in television. And that's sort of where my career took me the next 25 years. But even while I was doing that, I was working, I was doing UB broadcasts. I was a part of the Bills radio network. I became the first ever sideline reporter for the Bills radio network. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was always trying to work those other skills. I, I the, the TV is great, and but I always love being able to do radio. Radio is so incredibly creative. It's there's no pictures there. It's it's my job or the radio announcer's job to paint the picture. That's an incredible challenge, and I've always enjoyed doing that. So when those opportunities came along for me, I always tried to take them. I always thought it made me a better TV sportscaster and made me a better radio announcer when I was able to do all those things together. So covering the bills for all those years, being in the locker room, being on the sidelines, you know, helped me. And then, you know, I did UB games pretty regularly from 93 to 2000 okay. uh, and then stepped away to be a part of the bills radio network from 2000 to 2007 that had a chance okay. to come back to UB in 08. And mm -hmm. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I'm still alive from doing it, but I did UB games on Saturdays and bills sidelines on Sundays and there was a few really crazy travel trips and crazy <laughs> drives and catching flights to make all that happen. And, and it was a lot of fun. It, it wore me out pretty good. It was a lot of fun. And then kind of stepped away from the bill stuff um, and exclusively focused on the UB stuff a couple years after that. So I've been doing UB games now from 08 till now. So I think this will be my 22nd year calling the football games. And then obviously in the wintertime, I do the basketball games, mm -hmm. coaches shows, do the basketball games on ESPN plus. So um, it's been a great relationship for me. Like I said, I've got college sports in my blood, yeah. um, even though it wasn't something big when I, cause I grew up in New Jersey in the New York area where college mm. sports wasn't really 
huge, but going to Syracuse gave me an appreciation for that. And I've always enjoyed it. And the association with UB has been awesome for me. And I love doing, I love doing radio play-by-play of football. I love doing play-by-play as a whole. So those opportunities have been there at UB. It's been great. And, and it's, I take with a lot of pride, you know, that title of voice of the bulls. I understand what it means. I understand the responsibility. I understand that there's people that are relying on me to be a voice for them, to tell them what they need to know and Mm -hmm. to help them understand who they're playing and what the matchups and who the great players are. So, um, I take that very seriously and I try to do my best to, uh, you know, to deliver on, on making Bulls fans feel like they're better informed from either, from either listening or watching me host the coaches shows or whatever it might be that I might be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and it's crazy that you mentioned you came back in 2008. I mean, what a year to come back yeah, into, you know, the time, Mac huh? title scene. Absolutely. Yeah, really you know, good timing. But, oh yeah. But no, also too, just, just thinking about, you know, being able to 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 see what this program has grown into, and like you said too, I mean, for me personally, whenever I think of UB, I, I always associate you with them just because of you know the the great um, radio calls that you've had over the years, and and just saw all the great games that you've been able to to witness and things like that. So you know, I appreciate you for that. Um, you know, so for you to be able to you know take over um that 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 role as the voice of of the bulls and everything you know just growing into that and and especially seeing what they're at where the bulls are at now just just thoughts especially just um you know especially in the last three years specifically you know with coach Leipold and you know obviously we wish him well at Kansas but you know also to see coach Molinguist coming back to into the fold you know I I take it you know I've been lucky enough um, Kari to, to cover Super Bowls and and mm-hmm. Stanley Cup Finals and a lot of really big events and and it's it, I'm incredibly lucky to be able to do that. But one of the things I've always brought tried to bring to UB um, mm-hmm. or anything that I might be doing high school related or uh, UB volleyball or whatever is yeah. is I prepare for it like I'm doing the Super Bowl. I prepare mm-hmm. for every football game the same way as if I was calling a Bills game or if somehow I got the opportunity to call a Super Bowl. I I feel like that's the only way I know how to do it. That's the only way I was taught how to do it. And Mm -hmm. frankly, the people that are listening deserve that from me. So I spend a lot of time sitting right there behind me, you know, (laughs) during the course of a week uh, of just pouring over stats and understanding the opponent and preparing my spotting charts and, and, and having, 200 pieces of information knowing that I might only use five or 10 of them during the game, depending on how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just the only way I know how to do it. So I take it as a big responsibility. So, um, you know, so the run over the years here of winning has been incredible because I've prepared that same way um, when the bulls were two and 10 as well too. I mean, again, I just, I don't know any other way how to do it. Um, So, but it's a heck of a lot more fun when the team is good. um, When the, when the, when you're putting up records, when you're, when you're on incredible, watching incredible players perform, um, it, it's been incredible. And what Coach Leipold did that had never been done here before, there had been spurts of success. The 08 yes. team, the 2013 team, yep. um, you know, great players, Starks, Naaman, Willie, Bo, Khalil, um, the great players elevated those teams around them and you had those spurts, but it, it had been hard to sustain that at UB. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of the reasons that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Coach Leipold has done is be able to sustain it. You know, 
coming off that oh, that 18 season when Tyree uh, declares for the draft and you lose Anthony Johnson you're like oh yeah. my god what KJ how are transfers they gonna, KJ transfers how you know uh, Khalil Hodge graduates I'm like oh my god mm-hmm. how are they ever going to be able to get back to that level and guess what they did and five games into that season they were as good if not better as they were the year before no um, and that was the ultimate tribute to coach Leipold that he has built, he built a program, not a team, not a season, not a bunch of players, but a program. And it, what it, it taught me a good lesson in that, you know, even going into this year, like, you know, we don't know who three of the starting offensive linemen are going to be this year. Right? right. I mean, I don't know that I could tell you who beyond Clink and Fusak they're going to be, but yeah. I've also taught myself to, to not obsess over it, not worry about it. Put yeah. your faith in the recruiting of Coach Leipold and the coaching of Coach Linguist that they're going to have good guys that are ready to play, that will be able to step in and might be the next O'Hagan or the next Awashika. That's college right. football. That's how it works, right? Antonio right. Nunn was ready to step in and become darn near as good as Anthony Johnson in a different kind of offense um, when when we were probably wringing our hands over, oh my God, how are they going to replace these guys? So right. so that to me is what Coach Leipold has done. And the nice thing for Coach Linguist is he gets to inherit that and mm-hmm. put his own mark on it. And you've seen with the transfers he's brought in and mm-hmm. and some of the players that, you know, there'll be some players that maybe would have played if Coach Leipold are here and there may be some that may not or vice versa because mm-hmm. it's a different offense and a different defense and it demands maybe a different kind of player. But all that said, there's a lot of good players here, you know, and, and we may not know all about them, but we saw last year spurts of second and third stringers that came in in some of those blowouts and made plays like the running backs and some mm-hmm. of those D linemen. And, you know, and you're like, man, who's that guy? Oh, well, look at that. He, he had a couple sacks and, and, you know, a Kyler Lang who was a second or third string defensive end, who had a couple of sacks last year and you're like, man, okay. When that guy's ready to start, looks like he's a pretty good player. Um, mm-hmm. And that to me is the, is, is what every college football program strives for is just replenish. You're going to lose great players. That's what happens. Sometimes you hope not to lose them earlier than you were supposed to, like you did with a few guys this year, or you right. did with say a KJ Osborne, um, right. but you're going to lose them. They're going to go. Um, they're going to graduate at some point. Do you have the next group ready to play? And 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 I think the last couple of classes of Coach Leipold's recruiting have been the best recruiting classes they have had, and we just haven't seen many of those players. So we're about to, and and right. let's hope that those guys all kind of live up to you know the billing of being the ready to be the guy, the next guy. Where you know you're going, oh my gosh, Anthony Johnson's gone. How are you going to replace him? Oh, look, Antonio Nunn, he's pretty good. Now Antonio Nunn's gone. You're like, oh, my God, how are you going to replace him, right? Well, there's probably a guy in that roster who two years from now will be going, oh, my God, how are you going to replace that guy? Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's all about reloading and, and rebooting, you know, retooling that, that the in the cabinet and everything. Um, and, and you mentioned a little mentioned it a little bit, you know, being able to trans um, transition over from Coach Leipold to Coach Linguist. And, you know, I think it's such a cool story, especially for him to come back um, to UB after helping them, you know, helping uh, 
get to the the famous Idaho Potato Bowl in 2013. Just just thoughts on him coming back, and um, you know, just early thoughts on you know what he'll be able to bring to the program. He's an incredibly impressive um, man in the mm-hmm. in the, the times I've had a chance to be around him, and I haven't gotten quite the chance to know him as well as I hope to. Yes. Uh, and, and I will. We knew each other a little bit from his first stint, um, which yeah. is certainly nice because there's a little comfort factor there. He's yeah. just an incredibly impressive guy, and his resume is incredibly impressive. He's been sure. at some amazing places. SEC, Minnesota in the Big Ten, Iowa mm-hmm. State, uh, you know, uh, in the NFL. I mean, that, that resume just jumps out of you. Now he's yeah. never been a head coach, and there's always uh, a little bit of, okay, you know, it, all that is great, but but you've never been the guy in charge. But it, it just appears to me like he spent a lot of time thinking about being ready to be the guy in charge, and that's all you can ask. I mean, he's a first-year head coach, and you never know about those guys. Um you know, that's the difference when you brought a Lance Leipold in here. We were all worried about, oh, well, he was really good at Division Three, but is he going to be able to do it in Division One? Well, I think we right. all learned that when you can coach, you can coach. It doesn't really matter where. Um, so those are questions that we're all going to be looking forward to being answered. But, you know, I, just in hearing some of the players talk and talking to some of the players, they've been incredibly impressed with him. Uh, he has come in, and to me the hardest job was getting guys that were that had had this incredible amount of success under coach Leipold to not always be looking over their shoulder wondering, well, we didn't used to do it that way or that mm-hmm. old way worked. And uh, I don't sense any of that. You know, when you hear James Patterson and guys like that talking about how much they have bought into the new staff and the new coaches, um, those are the guys you need to have do it because they're your leaders. Um, you know, it's a new offense. It's a new defense. There's going to be some learning curves and some growing pains with that. There's no question about that. There's some new players in new places, as we talked about, like on the offensive line. But mm-hmm. at least at this point, um, I've been incredibly impressed with Coach Mo. I've been really impressed with the staff that he put together, Kari, because you look at the three coordinators, all have 25 years of experience in coaching. And yeah. then you have this core of positional coaches that are maybe more of a younger up and coming kind of guys. And I asked coach Mo, did you do that on purpose? He said, absolutely. He did that on purpose. He wanted those veteran guys around him to be able to be sounding boards for a guy who's never been a head coach, but he also wanted that youthful exuberance of some of the young assistants that he has on the staff. For sure. It's a great mix. You know, I think my, my second episode, I, I, I did a little deep dive on the coaching staff and even just, just looking into some of the experience that these guys have is amazing. And like you said too, it's such a great mix. You know, you've got, you know, some of the veteran experience, like with the coordinators, but then I look to someone like a Dallas Baker who, you know, was on at the highest level of college football playing wise to play in the NFL. And then, you know, he can, he can be someone that, the kids see as, hey, this is, you know, if I want to get to the next level or be at a certain level, he's, you know, someone I should definitely be trying to ask how to get there because he's done it himself. So I just think it's, it's a, you know, it's a great collection uh, um, with the, with the overall staff. And, you know, even just with the, with the, some of the guys that, you know, coach Linguist has brought in, in terms of recruiting wise too. I think that's, um, you know, amazing to think about in such a short, manner too he had such a quick turnaround I mean for coach Leipold to leave in May I believe it was and for coach Linguist to come in in May as well to think that you know things are still rolling and and some of the best or some of the highest rated recruits in program history are coming in due to to coach Linguist coming I think that's a, a beautiful thing 
Well, and, and we didn't, you, you, you're the, that's the first time we've touched on sort of the quick transition. I mean, it's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. It's almost unprecedented in college football yeah. to, to make that kind of change. I think coach Mo at Mac media day said it was 117 days from when he got hired. You know, I mean, that's no spring practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, you're asking a lot and at least to this point, for the reasons that you said, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he gets positive grades on what he's been able to do. I mean, his first and most important job was getting the guys that are here who are a really good team to buy into what he's what he wants to do. And then obviously getting the next generation of guys. And like I said, there's going to be some step backs from that time frame. You know, I mean, you're, you're putting a new offense and new defense in and they're going to have three weeks to get ready for it. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't have a whole spring practice to practice it. I mean, they've been doing a lot of meetings and a lot of film work, but it's not the same. And the first time that offense and defense will get repped will be early August when they hit the practice field. You're asking a lot. So my expectations are you're going to see a much different Bulls team when the max schedule starts in October, mm-hmm. maybe than the one we see in September. Um, you know, and as you look at the schedule, uh, I think if you can get two wins out of that four preseason, you know, four non-conference games, which I think is absolutely realistic. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great. That's what you always want for a Mac to be, be 500 um, and be in a position to go six and two in the Mac and have an eight win season and win the division and go to a bowl. I, I, I think it's going to be a much different, better bulls team once they get their feet on the ground of running the offense for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like we said, in, in reality, it, none of it all, none of it matters until that first Mac game in October. Most definitely. And, you know, I'm glad you, you brought it up as well. And, you know, for those um, out there that don't realize, you know, UB opens up with Wagner at home and then travels to Nebraska and then also has a, you know, pretty big matchup, I think, with Coastal Carolina, you know, yeah. with, you know how well they look, uh, how well they played and how great they looked last season and also, too, with Old Dominion. So just just thoughts coming into the season, you know, which the prospects of what this team could be and, you know, just some of the names that you are really looking forward to watching this season. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's some holes to fill. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, three new starters on the offensive lineman mm-hmm. on the line. You know, you, wide receiver is a big question mark. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to, you know, you lost you lost your top two guys from last year. Um, obviously, running back, you're, you're, you're more than set with Kevin Marks. And at quarterback, you're more than set with Kyle Van Treese. For sure. Um, you know, those guys are, are amongst the best players in the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would suspect early in the year they're going to ride Kevin Marks an awful lot. Um, you know, to get the offense's feet on the ground, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, defensively, I think, you know, this is a defense that's been top two in the Mac in the last three years. And I see a lot of those elements still there. You get Taylor Riggins back. who didn't play at all last year. So you plug him right into Malcolm Kuntz's spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, there's a couple transfer defensive tackles that I think will fill the gaps left by some of the players that have left. You're strong at linebacker with James Patterson and Gaddafi, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you're really strong at safety. Uh, corner, I think, is you've got a lot of guys there. We don't really know which ones will emerge um, there, but I think there's a lot of really good players there. So, mm-hmm. you know, all that said, uh, you know, I saw last week Pro Football Focus did its uh, – you know, all preseason, all Mac team and Bulls had six on the first team and 11 on the top three teams. And, you know, that's a lot of guys, even though some of the headlines of the year have been who's left, who's been departing. um, There's still a lot of really, really good players here. Um, You know, and and again, this is a team that was dominant last year um, for the whole season. And yes, 
for the reasons that we said, there's a little step back in the schemes and the systems. You lost Jarrett, you lost Kuntz, you lost none. You, you know, you lost some really, really important players, but yeah. there's a lot of really good players back, you know. So I, you know, I feel like this is a team that's going to compete uh, and should be considered one of the favorites to win the Mac East this year, um, strictly based on the talent there, you know, and like I said, that non-conference is going to be interesting. Um, you, you know, I, you know, I, I, I still feel like the bulls have a chance to go to Nebraska and win. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Northern Illinois did it a couple of years ago. Nebraska is a middle of the pack, big 10 team. They're, they're good. They have a really good defense, but yeah. you know, I mean, this is a, this is a top 25 Buffalo team last year. So, right. you know, I think we're, we lose sight of that a little bit. Coastal, Coastal is the highest, probably the best team they're playing in that first four weeks. They are Absolutely. a preseason top 25 team. And, you know, and everything I've heard about Coastal is they are really, really good and they bring all their really good players back. That should be a really fun game. You yeah. got a chance to go on the road, win a non-conference game at Old Dominion, and then you're rolling into the MAC. And, and uh, you know, as we saw with the MAC preseason media poll yesterday nobody has any idea who's going to be good in the mac east yeah you know there's four teams that are all pretty close that are all legitimate contenders to win the mac east title and i think the bulls are right there with all of the rest of them um you know and we'll see you know we'll see i mean again you're coming from a point way up here maybe you drop down a little bit but you didn't drop down that far right. um, so i'm confident i think this is going to be another successful season i think with coach mo's tweaks and touches on this um i i would expect that this is going to be another bowl season for sure yeah and i'm glad you meant you said that just um tweaks and touches to things it doesn't need to be a whole revamp i think the coolest thing about this team is i think it's going to be it's going to really embrace coach mo and his uh defensive prowess because he's got a lot of return more so he's got more returners on the defensive side of the ball then on the offense and you know I, you know like you said I just want to see what those tweaks look like but then also offensively you know I want to see what the offense really is going to be with like you mentioned with the offensive line you know hopefully Kyle Van Treese and and it's tough because you know he had such a unique season last year because it wasn't that he couldn't you know take advantage of the defense it was hey play your role Hand the ball off to twenty six. Every hand time the ball he off threw, to five. it was one less carry for Jarek Patterson or Kevin Marks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right? And that's no offense to him. That's hey, no. you got one of the best backfields in the country, um, with behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. So it, you know, it just made a lot of sense. He did what he needed to do. He orchestrated, and you know, I hopefully he can the, take some I think back to the Miami game, Kari, mm -hmm. where Miami essentially said we are not going to let Jarrett beat us, mm -hmm. and we're going to make Kyle Van Treese beat us, and he threw for three hundred and fifty yards yes. in that game, uh, and it was was a blowout it was a blowout over a good team mm -hmm. so to me that showed me that the the bulls have the ability to adapt okay you're going to load the box take kevin marks away yeah. guess what we can beat you throwing it and then all right. of a sudden you're going to react and then we're going to come back at you with mark so Absolutely. so last year's ability to sort of shift and evolve even within the mid course of the game mm -hmm. um you know it is ultimately what you want your offense to be and everybody says balance but there's no balance anymore it's not what football right. is it's it's 60 40 pass to run now yeah. when the bulls kind of did it the other way around their balance was well if you're if you're not going to let us run do we have the ability to throw to beat you um they did that last year i think we still have to see that this year with with you know seeing where the weapons are going you know what the weapons are going to be a tight end and wide receiver um you know that's to me is still a slight question but i don't have any i have no question about kyle he is he is the ultimate uh 
leader, quarterback, hard-nosed guy, um, you know, always fights off the competition, always has the team in the right place at the right time and knows what to do. And I don't, none of that should change, even if it is a bunch of young wide receivers out there with him. For sure. Yeah. I just want to, I just hope he gets to have more onus this year, you know, that a little bit is more put on his plate, um, which I would love to see for him. And, you know, I'm excited to see it for him. So, you know, it should be a fun team. Like you mentioned, you know, I, I'm really excited to see how well they, they come together. And like you mentioned as well, just, just the quick um, turnaround of, Hey, you know, we, we've got a new regime, but you know, we're st- still trying to keep things business as usual. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, and, and that goes back to our previous conversation of the the program has been built. It's not a year to year. It's it's a it's a program that's built for the long haul and the and consistency. And that's why there's been thirty wins over the last four years. Here is that you know you're going to take some players out, you're going to put some new players in, you're going to change this, you're going to change that, but but you, you're not dropping from an eight win team to a three win team. And that right. that's always been a little bit of the story of the MAC because it's been hard to recruit consistently for any of the Mac teams is that you, you fall into a great quarterback and a couple of great NFL level players and you win the division and you go to a bowl and then they graduate and you, you can't replicate that. And you sort of drop back to the bottom and then kind of fight your way back up Um, that, you know, that's why there's always, there's no, you know, that there's been, you know, everybody in the league's been in the Mac championship game, like in the last seven or eight years, everybody, almost every team has been there. So, um, so the Mac tends to be a league where that happens or, or you get really good and you lose your coach and then you have to take a step back with a new coach. And that's obviously what the bulls are going to have to try to fight a little bit this year. Cause you, you know, you saw that with Bowling Green and you saw that with a couple of the other teams that were able to send their coaches to Lido, you know, Mm -hmm. send their coaches to higher levels because of the success. So it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a generally a, characteristic of the Mac teams that the Bulls have been able to shake off here over the last little bit. And we'll find out if they can continue to do that. But like you said, good recruiting is usually the key to that. Um, And the next era of players being able to not see any drop off from uh, the really good players to the next collection of really good players. And, and I think uh, coach Mo is a terrific recruiter. He's always been, he's recruited Mm -hmm. at a high level. And like you said, you've seen it even with some of the players they've recruited even for 2022 already. Um, There's some pretty high level kids there, higher levels, maybe than we're generally used to seeing here. Although I never put much stock in any of those recruiting rankings, Um, you know, just because at the Mac level, I just don't think they're very accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I saw the athletic this study where they, where they, where they ranked recruiting rankings versus success yeah. and the bulls, I think were the second of the group of five. There was the, they had the second highest plus number of re, of wins over recruiting, um, of any group of five team. And I think they were top 10 in the country overall. Wow. So that, that just tells me that those recruiting rankings at, at the Mac level are never particularly accurate you know i mean mm. uh you know khalil mack was a two-star brandon oliver was a two-star uh mm-hmm. you know i mean the great players in ub history were never, were never considered high ranked recruits right for sure yeah you got to take it with a grain of salt as as i feel like most things are when it comes to those projections and rankings i always laugh you know whenever i do my fantasy football um 
columns and people are like, oh, well, you know, what do you think the Bills record is going to be this year? I'm like, please don't ask me that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's there's just too much in, that goes into it. So yeah. I try to stay away from that. Yeah, because you don't know what's how many starters might be missing, uh, you know, from uh, the, the week six game that you that you think they're going to lose. Uh, Kansas City, maybe maybe Mahomes is out of that game or right. or whatever. I know what you mean. I've been doing this a long time, too. Those preseason predictions are generally they're fun and everybody loves them. But the accuracy level is is usually, you know, you, you can't tell me, you know, what the what the characteristics of a week 10 matchup are going to be as we sit here in July, uh, right. who's healthy, who's not healthy, who's in a slump, who's not in a slump. Um, y- you just don't know. So um, I, I get it. It's the it's the world we live in now. And, and, and it's all fun. And I read them, too. And they're fun to read. But I kind of read them and, and like, OK, but, you know, I'll, I'll wait till the reality comes around. No and, doubt, and again, yeah. I have to deal in a reality world of the games are my reality, right? Yes. I can, I walk into that booth sort of with a feel for what I think is going to happen on any given Saturday, but mm-hmm. I have to let the reality come to me. You know, I mean, that's kind of my job. You know, I always tell people did I, you know, did I walk into that booth against Western Michigan a couple of years ago thinking there might be seven overtimes <sighs> and a 600 yard passing game? Of course right. not. But I did kind of pride myself and our whole radio crew on being ready for it and and adapting for it and knowing what the rules were and staying on top of it. Or Jarrett's game against Kent State, you know, I, I, you know, not to drift off the topic here, but Brad Ryder and Scott Wilson, who are my cohorts on the radio broadcast, man, though, Brad in particular, because he wasn't necessarily on the air as the sort of the host of the broadcast. He was hammering away at records and, you know, and he passed me notes. He needs this many yards to break this record and to move it to have the fifth greatest all-time game in NCAA history. And man, we were on top of it because, because as a group, we, 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 we sensed that what was going on and we reacted to it and we were ready for it. And we were ready that if Jared had gotten one more of those carries and one more of those touchdowns, I, I knew it right away. We were, he was ready to set the record. Yeah, I just wish they had to let him stay in for that last carry, yeah, just too. that last carry. Me too. But you know, can can only can only uh you know you can't beggars can't be choosers. So no, um, it doesn't but, diminish from the greatness of watching him play the last couple of years and watching what he did last year, which was amongst the most. In, you know, like you said, you and I have had a chance to see Khalil Mack for his whole career. Um, mm-hmm. What Jarrett did last year was at a Khalil Mack level of domination. Right. Um, you know, nationally, you know, and you just that you just don't see that in Buffalo or in the Mid-American Conference very often. And that's why it was so much fun to be a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. I mean, last season, I, I tried to tell people even coming into there, you know, um, just doing some of the numbers that he had from his sophomore season. I mean, he was one of I believe it was one of five players in the country to have 2000 scrimmage yards and 20 touchdowns accounted for and to think like okay like yeah he's in at a max school whatever like i'm like no 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 this guy is legit like you guys gotta pay, pay attention and i mean hey the proof was in the pudding last year so I, yeah. i'm just glad he he's i mean hey he's in the league for a reason yeah and he put up those kind of numbers in a shortened season I and mean, he was putting up season level numbers in six games last year yeah. which was which was just incredible. And, and uh, it, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, there's a few of those players that have been transcendent in my career calling UB games, Starks, Naaman, uh, Khalil, obviously Bo um, and, and Patterson's in that group. And you know what? Cause I ran these numbers today, Kari, um, Kevin Marks is only 
14, he's 1,200 yards away from Patterson on the career list. He's 1,400 yards away, 1,430 away from breaking Bo Oliver's all-time UB rushing record. And this is a guy who split carries his entire career. So we may very well be seeing some of the same things again this year but from Kevin Marks. For sure, yeah. He, he, he's he He's been a treat to watch as well, you know. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see because, you know, it's always an interesting dynamic seeing, like you said, you know, that split backfield. But he's the guy now, you know. He, he, he gets to do his thing. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see. Um, before I let you go, just a couple quick things, you know, I got to ask it, you know, especially having using it or using it as my um, – as my intro, you know, where did the bullseye call come from? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know other than it, it sort of seemed like it made sense. I don't even mm-hmm. remember. I pro- I don't know if I'm, I used it back in the nineties or not, or, yeah. you know, maybe, but you know, I, again, I kind of came up in an era where, you know, guys sort of had a signature call and, you know, and, and sort of had a little bit of a trademark or something that they kind of called their own, whether it was a home run call or whether it was a touchdown call and, you know, and I think over the years, you know, we've we've titled shows kind of like yours as the Bullseye Report and things like that. I mean, it yeah. just it's an obvious correlation. So it just sort of evolved as boy that you know that might be kind of cool as a touchdown call and yeah. and 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 I don't do it. I, the, the evolution of it is is I try not to do it all the time. I try to save. You know, I don't necessarily do it on a one yard touchdown run. Right. I mean, I think it it needs to have a place for being something cool and something special. Um, so big plays or key moments or whatever, I, you know, that's when I try to use it. But, you know, I, I think it's a little bit, it's become a little bit of a catchphrase and a trademark and, and it's fun. And I, I think the fans seem to enjoy it. And, and, you know, in this era when all that stuff gets tweeted out and it's the radio calls and the highlights and stuff, I think people get a kick out of it. And, you know, and now it's kind of gotten a life of its own. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a game a couple of years ago that was, um, it may have been on the CBS Sports Network, okay. and the announcer who did it actually used like called like a said bullseye on a touchdown, and all of a sudden I get all these 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 tweets and and texts and stuff like that guy's stealing your call, and I'm like I'm not stealing my call, I don't I don't own the call, it's just kind of what I do, and if he liked it, that's fine, I don't yeah. have a problem with it at all. It's if people want to have fun. I mean, again, it's a it's a relatively common phrase you know i mean it's kind of one of those if you're if you're if you're throwing darts and you get it you're gonna yell out bullseye Bullseye. well okay it seems to make sense i'll yell it out on a touchdown from a team called the ub bulls so uh, (laughs) it's been fun and and it's taken on a little bit of a life of its own and like i said i try not to abuse it um you know I, i i try not to make it all you know you know like i'll say like john sterling sometimes tends to abuse his his home run calls on the Yankees. Like you don't use it every time you, 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 it makes it more special when you only use it on special moments. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And that, that, that was why the, the, the one that I went with um, for the intro, I was like, was that yeah, the that's Anthony it. Johnson against temple? Yes, it was. Yes. That it may was. have been my most expressive bullseye ever yes. because of the moment of the game. I mean, that was an, that was an incredible, it was an incredible play. It was an incredible win on the road in an NFL stadium against a really good team. And right. it had been a great game back and forth. So I think when I hear you use that call and I've heard that call 
played back before. Like it's a little different than some of my other bullseye ones, but I think that was the moment demanded that it be different because it was such an incredible play and such an incredible individual effort by Anthony Johnson. So it's, it's, it's my favorite of the bullseyes because the moment dictated that it be different than another standard bullseye at UB stadium. For sure. Yeah. Shout out to AJ. He was definitely a treat to watch. Oh, uh, he was so much tenure, fun to watch. For sure. And and before I let you go, last question I wanted to ask, you know, we talked a little bit about you've had such a, a varying career with um, all you've done with broadcasting. You know, what would you say have been the top three events that you've been able to be a part of? Well, you know what? I get this question asked a lot and you're going to be thrown by the answer because most people are. When, when people ask me like, you know, you know, I've had a chance to cover Super Bowls and I've had a chance to cover uh, NCAA tournaments and I've, you know, I, and I've been involved in final. F- I, I, I called the, on the radio uh, the Syracuse, Indiana National Championship game back oh, nice. in, uh, in 1986. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've had an incredible opportunity to be at a lot of events. So people ask me, what's the coolest sporting event that you've ever been at and i always my answer is always the daytona 500 i had a chance to cover the daytona 500 in the 90s and that moment when the green flag drops with about two hundred thousand people on their feet screaming and those 43 cars coming around that curve to the green flag the noise the 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 kind of the, the the sound that kind of goes through your body to me that's been the single coolest moment in my sports history. Now the kickoffs of the Super Bowl weren't all that far behind that, you know, when I had a chance to cover those as well too, but that for all those other factors that went into the Daytona, that's, that's always the answer that I give to people. And they're always a little bit surprised by, you know, I mean, again, like I said, I've been at, I've been at some of those great Sabres games over the years. I wasn't at the no goal game, but I was at the four overtime game and I was at the Chris Drury game and and you know and I was at the comeback game for the Bills and mm-hmm. you know and 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 some of those moments and and those are all the things that that I remember the most um but that Daytona 500 start is just always I can still like feel like I could smell the fuel and and everything when I talk about it for sure yeah I feel like especially because with each sport too um I've, in competition in general I think each one has such a unique setting that's such a distinct setting, you know, like you said, with the fuel and, you know, I'm being outside and just smelling the crisp air and things like that. And I mean, just the tradition of it as well. So I, I definitely can understand that, um, you know, it had to have been a, a sight to see. Yeah. And ultimately that's, what's, that's what, what's great about being involved in sports. And that's why we love sports is that, is that there's always things that'll happen that you never saw coming. Um, I would have never told you that I would have thought that would have been the moment. Um, you know, we we mentioned some of those great UB games over the years. I mean, you just you don't walk into there thinking you're going to see somebody run for 400 yards. Right. Um, and that's what's great about sports is that stuff happens that you never planned on, never expected. Um, but that's it happens. That's what makes sports great. You know, great shots, great efforts. Uh, you know, I mean, even watching Giannis last night, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, the, the the way he took that game over and 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 won it single handedly and scored half their points. I mean, those, those are that's what's amazing about sports, whether it's at the college level um, or, or the professional level. Um, it's just incredible being a part of watching these and ridiculously talented people do what they do. Most definitely. Yeah. It's a, and, and and even just talking about even, you know, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, you know, to see the, the, 
the highs that Giannis and the Bucks were on versus the lows that Chris Paul and Devin Booker were on with the Phoenix Suns. You know, it, it all it's all par for the course there. So, you know, it, it's amazing to see what sports can bring in, especially now that we're finally back to some normalcy, fans being in stands and everything, you know, kind of feeling like how it used to be. But, you know, hopefully there's more moments like that to come. I hope so. I hope so. And I, and like I said, I think, uh, you know, for people that are listening to this because they're Bulls fans, uh, I think that the future is bright on the football and the basketball and the women's basketball side. Mm-hmm. Um, this has just been an incredible run of success. And, and I just I want people to enjoy it and realize how lucky they are to have a terrific college athletic program. I know we're a pro sports town, but there is a place not only within the sports landscape in this town, but in every sports fan's world that go out, watch a football game, go to UB stadium, go to alumni arena. You know, it's not always about the bills and the Sabres. I mean, there's some great stuff that's going on here, right in Buffalo. You got a chance to go see coastal Carolina. The story of college football last year is going to play right in your backyard. If you're going to pick one game to go to go and enjoy it and watch it and appreciate it for what it is. It's not Ohio state. It's not Alabama, but that doesn't mean it's not fun and it's not great football. For sure. Hey, still some talent. I know that for a fact. So, Paul, it's been a pleasure. Again, I really appreciate you for doing this. And, you know, you for me to be born and raised in this area, you know, you've been a person that I've tried to emulate. And, you know, just to be able to get to your level would be an amazing thing one day for me. So I'm just thankful to have you on. And I just hope, you know, to be seeing you in the near future. Well, you will. Keep doing what you're doing and you'll get there. And uh, football season, I'm sure we'll see each other at practice and at games and stuff. I'm, I'm more than happy to do this. I appreciate the hard work that you put into to everything. Absolutely. Keep it up. Absolutely. Alrighty, guys. This is Kyrie Demo signing off. Thank you, Paul Peck, again, the voice of the Buffalo Bulls. We will talk with you very soon. Take it easy, guys, and horns up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.